anything like this. Matter of fact, I might get y'all just to get up and move into these areas where I can just stand at this end of the room. But anyway, uh, I do want to thank you for being here this morning. I know for many of us, we're getting into that Christmas season and in which we're ready to celebrate. And I'm sure our children, by the way, a lot of our children are here with us today. Uh, I know everybody's ready for that moment when we can unwrap presents, eat all this food, and just have a great time uh, with family. Uh, but we also need to pause and think about what this time of year means and what it really means. But before we do that, let me give you some discouraging news this morning. The average calorie intake on Christmas is just over 6,500 calories. But what about the days leading up to and coming after? The three-day period of calorie intake, they believe, is just over 12,000 calories. Now, think about that. I mean, so many times we just think about the, the, the day of Christmas, but what about leading up when you're preparing the food and making the cookies, right? You know what I'm talking about. And then at the end, when everybody leaves, you got to eat what's left, right? So we got 12,000 calories we got to deal with. Now, to burn off that amount of calories, a person weighing 175 pounds, listen to this, will have to walk almost 40 hours. 40. 24 hours of low-impact aerobics, 16 hours of running a 10-minute mile. It would take to burn that amount of calories. For those of you who weigh a little less, 135 pounds, just over 44 hours of walking, that's almost two days, 29 hours of low-impact aerobics or 20 hours of running a 10-minute mile. Now, how many of you are encouraged so far in this message as we open this day up? I think so many of us are like, well, thanks for ruining it for me. But anyway, we're still going to have a good time, right? Well, let's change the conversation. This morning, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. When anyone thinks of Christmas, what do we think of? We think of Luke chapter 2. We think of uh, the angel appearing before the shepherds and, or the angels. And we think about all the mystery that surrounds the, the birth of Christ. And today we're going to continue the whole idea of let there be light. And as you're turning, listen to these verses. John 1 verses 4 and 5 says this. In Jesus was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not comprehend it. It also means that the darkness could not overcome it. And so when you're thinking about this whole idea of what Christmas is, it's really about the fact that light came and dwelt among us. And so when you start thinking about the whole idea of God saying, in the beginning, let there be light, we're talking about the introduction of the one who is the one who can only bring that light and that be of God. So look at this series introduction. Jesus is the light that has come from heaven. We've said that for the last three weeks. The light that has reached us is like no other and has come like no other. So look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to pull out a couple of verses just to show you a little bit about what's going on in Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 6 first. So it was that while they were there, of course, Mary and Joseph, they made their way to Bethlehem, the days for her for, uh, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in, the, in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. 
Skip down to verse 18. It says, and all those who heard it, speaking of what the shepherd's report was, you remember the shepherds? All those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Verse 19 is one of the sweetest verses in all the Bible. It says, but Mary kept all these things, all the things that surrounded the coming of Jesus, all the things that surrounded her babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and what that babe would be about. It says she pondered them in her heart. And then verse 20 says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Now, many times when we think of Christmas, that's the exact scene that we think of. We have our little manger scenes and we've got the, uh, the wise men there. We've got the shepherds there. We've got the babe in the manger, Mary and Joseph, the camels, the donkeys, all kinds of stuff, right? And that's the sweet little scene that we see. Now look at the introduction. Jesus' life echoes throughout eternity. But what would have happened and what would be happening now if Jesus had never come? Have you ever thought about a world without Jesus? Have you ever thought about a world where Jesus had, had never come? He, the light had never come into the world? I don't know about you, but from what I know and what God has shown me in his word and, and where I know my life has been, it would be a horrifying thing to think that Jesus had never come, wouldn't it? And I think for many of us, we would say that. That would be our testimony. But what is really at stake when it comes to Jesus' birth? I want you to turn now to Revelation chapter 12. I guarantee you, not many of you have heard a pastor preach the Sunday before Christmas in the book of Revelation. I guarantee you've never heard that. But I want to give you the background of what's going on about what happened there in Bethlehem and why it's so important that we get our minds around the events of Bethlehem. So the first thing I want you to see is the parallel account of Jesus' birth. The gospel records the accounts of Jesus' birth kind of like a silent night feel to it. How many of you like that kind of feel when it comes to Christmas? And here's the way we think of that, that, that blessed night. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Now, how many of you are wondering why I'm not singing this? <laughs> well, let me just give you a clue. The caroling group that I went with this past Wednesday night, we began to sing and dogs began to howl in the neighborhood. <laughs> This is no lie. I'm serious. Anybody went with me, Carolyn, raise your hand. Some of you, yeah. The dogs howled, right? Yes. And so I'm never singing again. This is, this is it. But anyway, but think about it. That moment, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round young virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, silent night, holy night. We think of it in terms of of this sweet moment. And it was, I'm sure it was. I mean, after all, Mary's pondering things in her heart. She's, bless her heart, she had a baby, her baby in a stable. I mean, but still that moment that we think, it just feels like everything went as planned, this peaceful, silent night when Jesus was born. But then we read a, a side account, some things that were going on in the background to that whole thing. And we read it in Revelation chapter 12 and we see that this night not only represented a sweet moment in which light came into darkness in which we have a savior, 
But the whole idea seems to surround that it came at a high price. It came with much violence that surrounded it. So look on your outline. What are the behind-the-scenes events surrounding the coming of Christ? Well, in Revelation chapter 12, what you're reading there is really a parenthesis. If you study the book of Revelation, chapters 12, 13, and 14 are, are like a parenthesis. You're going to read about these judgments that are occurring, and it seems like you're reading something that's chronological, and then you come to chapter 12, 13, and 14, and you get some behind-the-scenes things of what's going on during that, during that time, but also what's been going on since the foundations of the world. And we find that right here in chapter 12. We see the background story of the battle between light and darkness and good and evil. So look at 12.1. It says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head as a garland of 12 stars. Most people believe that this is a symbol and picture of the nation of Israel. Now what's so important about the nation of Israel? It's the nation, it's the people from which the Messiah, Jesus, is going to come from. And so you see that so clearly there. And then it says in verse 2, Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Of course, the parallel here is Israel, the nation that would bring forth the Messiah, and also a picture of Mary who showed up there in Bethlehem. So we have that picture there. Verse 3, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems or crowns on his head. Now, we could look at this and break this down and say, well, what does all this mean? But that's not the intent of the sermon. The intent is for you to see that there was some violence that's associated with the whole scene that we see there in Bethlehem and what would come of it. It says in verse 4, that his tail of this dragon drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Now, of course, the dragon is Satan himself. The third are what we believe are the fallen angels. And so we've got this whole scene of things that are lining up. And Revelation chapter 12 is showing you the, the, the light and the darkness, the good and the evil. And it says all these things surround what is really, the, it is the big picture of what we see in Scripture. He goes on. It says, And the red dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. The child we know is the Messiah. It is Jesus. It's the one that showed up in Bethlehem. And then it says, She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Now, I want you to notice the second thing here, the possible alternative of history. The idea that what if Jesus had never been born? Did you know there's a whole study given to that mindset? What if this person had never been born? What if that person had never been born? That's literally something that some groups of people look at. The whole area is what you call alternative history. These historians and scholars get together and they ask the question, what if? What if computers had never been invented? Many of you are saying, I would love to go back to that time. <laughs> Others would probably not agree. What if Star Trek and Star Wars had never been written and had never been produced? 
Well, we would never have nerds. They're so educated now, wouldn't we? But we have all these things that seem to surround this. And what if Adolf Hitler had never been born? What if Osama bin Laden had never been born? What if our founding fathers, the ones in which God, I think, used to, to create the nation that we now live in? How about a person's life? Just a generic person, just someone who's out there, maybe someone like us. What kind of impact can one individual have on a, another person, a family, a church? a community, a society, a nation, and even the world. Think about it. What if you had never been born? What if, what if those around you who have impacted your life had never been born? Which leads us to where we started. What if Jesus had never been born? Look on your outline. What would history have been like without the coming of Jesus? Look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. It says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. Of course, we know that's the enemy. And the dragon and his angels fought. I love verse 8. But they did not prevail. They didn't prevail. They were beaten so badly. Look at what it says next. There was not a place for them in heaven any longer. The place of their domain, the place where they had been for eternity, all of a sudden they fought and they fought and they couldn't overcome. You know what's amazing when it comes to what we read in Scripture? So many people believe that when they look at Scripture and when they begin to look at the Jesus and, and the enemy and all those things, they would say there's this, this dueling battle of good and evil between light and darkness and, and they're neck and neck. No, they're not. It's not even close. Listen, what we're reading here, when it says Michael, you know what's interesting about Michael? Michael is an archangel. The Bible really calls him a warring angel. He, he himself, listen, there's no mention of the Messiah. There's no mention of Jesus. There's no mention of deity. The archangel himself was able to run the enemy out of heaven. How many of you find that cool? That's really cool when you think about it. It wasn't a fight between Jesus and the enemy. All Jesus has got to do is speak, and he's gone. I mean, think about it. And so many times we think that there's this battle that's going on, and, oh, we hope he wins. He is going to win, and he already has won. But what if not? Let's go back and say, well, what if it didn't happen? Verse 9, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast with him. Now I want you to think about this. Down through the ages, the enemy has sought to destroy the seed that would lead to the birth and the life of Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, we, we get our first attempt of what the enemy is attempting to do here. And basically what God is doing is he's just thrown Adam and Eve out of the garden because of sin. And he begins to hand out judgments upon those who participated in this original sin. And then it says this, God said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. We're talking about Israel. We're talking about her seed, uh, which would be Jesus. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It basically says, yes, you're going to deal a, deal a blow, but he's going to deal a blow that you can't come back from when he refers to the enemy. 
And so we see this picture. And again, we look at Bethlehem, and what do we see? This sweet story. And it is a sweet story, but there's something behind the scenes that we're missing sometimes. It's that violence. It's that, that attempt of the enemy. Think about what he's done over the centuries. The seed that will come through David, Saul, Saul seeks to kill him. The daughter of Ahab and Jezebel seeks to destroy all the descendants of David. However, Joash was protected as the lone survivor. The story of Esther, Haman sought to destroy the whole Jewish race. After Jesus was born, a mad king named Herod sought to kill the boy Jesus. Then the enemy rallied in the, there in the first century. Uh, the religious, they sought to kill Jesus. The dragon named Satan sought to destroy Jesus before he became the savior of humanity. However, he failed. Now, you know what we have? You know what we're dealing with? We're dealing with a defeated foe today. You do realize that, right? Bethlehem led to the defeat of the enemy. Right now, we're dealing with a sore loser. We're dealing with someone who seeks to destroy us, someone who seeks to destroy the credibility of God in this world and, and to bring the darkness into the light. But let me tell you this, the light always dispels the darkness. And yet we look around and we see all the damage that he is doing. But let me just tell you this, light will prevail. I want you to think about it. What, what would be different if Jesus had never come? Well, what would we call 2018? Of course, they didn't quite get it right on year zero necessarily or the year's birth, but we'd have a different calendar from one thing, wouldn't we? Oh, I want you to think about some other things. Did you know women have benefited from Christ's influence? A lot of people don't understand this, but even historians will go back and, and they begin to look at all the great leaders who, who came in ancient times and they would say that Jesus is at the forefront of elevating the status of women. Have you ever thought about that? Think about how he encountered women. I mean, think about it. In ancient cultures, the wife was considered the property of the husband. Aristotle explained it this way. He said this, a woman is somewhere between a free man and a slave. In ancient India, China, Rome, and even Greece, men believed that women were not capable nor able to be independent. Prior to Christian influence in India, widows were often killed at the same time of their husband's death. Isn't that interesting when you start looking at all this? Jesus did more to elevate the status of women than any other figure in history. Think about the poor. Poverty has always been a part of what we would consider life. But Jesus inspired that we do more, that we help those who are in poverty, that we help those in the world many times that can't take care of themselves. There are countless third world orphanages, inner city missions, and numerous and even hundreds of thousands of food pantries that are all, have all been inspired by Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Think about what that attempt looks like. The Salvation Army, even the YMCA and Compassion International are just a few of the hundreds of organizations that exist and have helped been, uh, attempted to help to alleviate, alleviate poverty, to reach out to people in need in the name of Christ. Gallup polls report 
Listen to this. That over $35 billion a year are spent by Christians in the name of Jesus to help the poor. Y'all, that's a big chunk. That, that's big. North American education as <clears throat> its foundation was based on Christianity. How many of you are blown away by that? Yeah, it really was. I mean, think about it. The first 123 colleges and universities in the United States were started by Christians for Christian purposes. This will blow you away. This included Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, all the biggies. Would you say they're kind of far from it now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about it. Most of the languages that we have today have been codified by Christians. You know what I mean by codified? It means they've gone into these, these places, these villages, these people, and they've seen that they have a spoken language. And what they do is they take that spoken language and create a written language in such a way that they can read scripture. And that's happening everywhere. And Christians are the leading authorities in that to get the word out. That's what that's all about. Public schools were started for the purpose of teaching children how to read the word of God. It becomes even more obvious when you look at their curriculum. There was something known. The first textbook here in North America was the New England Primer. I know some people even have a copy of that, which is kind of cool when you think about it. This is how the children were taught their ABCs. Listen to this. Right here in the United States, A is for Adam's fall we all have sinned. Think about that. B means how to find the Bible mind. C Christ crucified for sinners. This is how children were learning their ABCs here in America. This is how public schools were teaching them. It would be fairly easy to make the argument if Jesus had never been born, even the United States wouldn't be existing as it is today. I want you to think about it. Now, not all the forefathers were as Christian as we think they were. Some were considered deists, agnostics, but there were some who had genuine faith when you begin to read their writings. John Quincy Adams wrote concerning the founding of our nation. He said, the birthday of our nation is indissolubly linked to the birthday of our Savior. In 1620, before the pilgrims landed, they sat in the captain's quarters of a ship and they wrote what would be called the birth certificate of America, which is called the Mayflower Compact. Here's what they wrote. Well, we, excuse, we whose names are undersigned have an undertaking for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Notice the two phrases, for the glory of God, for the advancement of the Christian faith. The, public, the published battle cry for the American Revolution, listen to this, was this. No king but King Jesus. That's interesting when you think about it. Patrick Henry, we've all heard of him, said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was found not by religionists but by Christians. Not by religions but by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If not for the coming of Christ, what would our nation be like? What would our world be like? Thank God we're not living in an alternate reality away from Christ. Are you thankful for that? 
We're living in a reality in which light did come into the darkness. We're living in a reality in which we don't have to be deceived anymore by the ways of this world or the ways of the enemy. We live in a world in such a way that there is light and it has come to the world. Next, the priceless application of Jesus' birth. Look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. He says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the power of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him. How? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not live their lives to the death. And they, and and they did not love their lives to the death. It means there came a story that came out of history in which what you see there is that people identified with what Christ did. They not only identified with what Christ did, they took on that testimony of Christ. That testimony became a reality in their own life, and they weren't afraid to die for that cause. And we see that everywhere. And that's what we're looking at. But what does it really mean? Look on the outline. What would life be like without the coming of Christ? First of all, number one, there would be no forgiveness, at least what we would call an eternal forgiveness. Before Christ came, there was forgiveness. But it took on an eternal character when he came. In Ephesians 1.7, look on the screen, it says, in him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Can you imagine a life without forgiveness of sin? Can you imagine a life? Here's really what that means. I don't think a lot of us get this. Can you imagine a life bound in our shame and our guilt? I don't know about you, but I let many years of my life be consumed by my guilt and my shame. And as I became become more understanding of what Christ's provision meant for me, I began to understand that I didn't have to live under that, that that was from the enemy, that Christ came for the purposes of my guilt and my shame. And you may be here today and you might be saying, you know something, I'm living in the midst of that. How, how did you, how did, I began to just take Jesus at his word. I took his word as the word that I wanted to surrender my life to. And at that point, all of a sudden, the darkness in which I was living in, I began to all of a sudden step out into the light. What did it mean? It really meant this, that I had to get serious about the sin in my life and turn from that sin and turn to a Savior who offered me redemption, who offered me the forgiveness of sin. And y'all, that's what this is all about. Can you imagine a world without that? I mean, think about your own life. Think about where you've been and what's been provided for you. How about this? What would life be like without the coming of Jesus? There'd be no salvation. Can you imagine a world without salvation? Can you imagine a life without a Savior? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look on the screen. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. We are no longer children of wrath because of the provision of Jesus coming to this world. It was by way of Bethlehem, but it became a place in Jerusalem where it was sealed there on Calvary when we had his death, his burial, and then soon his resurrection. How about this? Without the coming of Jesus, there's no peace. No peace. 
Can you imagine a life with no peace? Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, you know what that means? We've been made right before God. And because of that, because he did come, because we're not living in an alternate reality, and because he did come, we have peace with God. How? Through the provision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, what would it be like? Well, would there be no purpose? No purpose. Can you imagine a life without purpose? Ephesians 3.11 says, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everybody seems to be looking for purpose. As I told you a couple weeks ago, that all you need to do, if you want a bestseller, write a book on how to find purpose and put it out there. It'll become a bestseller. You know why? Because everybody's looking for it. But they're looking for it in the wrong places. I've been reading a book and I was talking to someone yesterday to reading the same book and it's that whole idea, it's called halftime. It's the whole idea of how our life begins and we always are searching for success. And at some point in a person's life, all of a sudden it's that whole idea, they're looking for success. It seems to translate into now looking for significance. Y'all are always looking for significance and Christ brings the greatest significance any human being could ever experience. But it comes through the provision of Jesus. What would life be like without the coming of Jesus? There'd be no hope, no hope. You know, it's amazing how often you can encounter people with no hope. I don't know about you, but I've dealt with people for about 28 years now in the ministry. And I can almost see a face now that is experiencing no hope. When no hope enters the scene or in the life of a person, it becomes tragic in so many different ways. The most ultimate tragedy is when many of us, and we know people who've taken their own life, but it can show up in people in such a way that it's not just a life that's taken physically, but it's also a life that's just taken and they're literally like the walking dead and they're just kind of responding to what's around them and they're just kind of doing and going through the motions, never experiencing the true joy and the hope that God's salvation brings through Jesus. In 1 Peter 1, 3, here on the screen, blessed be our God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How about this? Lastly, what would life be like without the coming of Jesus? There'd be no light. No light. Can you imagine sitting in this room in darkness? Some of you who are a little more used to light are sitting here thinking, it's pretty dark now. And what's the deal? Y'all speaking about light, been talking about it all month, now it's dark. What would it be like if all the lights were out? Can you imagine living in a world like that? You see, people actually live in a world like that. Darkness, their perspective that they have on their life is really darkness. The way they live their life is in darkness. The way they react to things is in darkness and they live in that deception and they're reaching out, having no idea sometimes what they're reaching out for. And they think sometimes that the things of this world will give them what they've been looking for and all the hope must be there. And they find out over and over and over again it's not. The only hope we have, the only true light there is in the world is the light that Jesus Christ brings when he came to this world. 
In John 8, 12, it says this. Jesus said, listen to this. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. That's a pretty bold statement when you consider what light does. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me, they will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In John chapter 12, Jesus said, I have come as a light into the world. That means he's implying there's darkness everywhere, and I've come to show them the light. That whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. You don't have to live in darkness because of what Jesus did in his first coming and his second coming to seal the deal. Here's the application this morning. Jesus came to bring salvation, purpose, and hope to your life. Have you accepted the benefits of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and resurrection? And then secondly, does your life make a difference for the kingdom? Jesus was born to establish. Is your life making a difference? You know, it's amazing what one life can do. You look at the life of Jesus, and some of you would sit here and say, you know, we can't compare our lives to the life of Jesus. He was the God-man, and you would be correct in saying that. And that's, that's pretty hard to try to achieve something like that. <laughs> Deity was able to do it. We, we would never do it like that. But what about men like the Apostle Paul? What about people like D.O. Moody? What about people that I know of in this room who have profound impact? and the people around them. What about you? What about you? Are you making a difference? Are you bringing the light to the world? Let me just tell you this as we close this series. This whole idea of light, listen, you're not the, you're not the light source. You're the reflection of the light. That's all you are. You're just a reflection. When you start thinking you're the source of light, we've got a problem. You're the reflection of light. And because of that, everywhere you go, listen, you should have a profound impact wherever you go. If the Bible says the world's in darkness and Jesus is in the light and the light lives within us and we take him, we've understood the provision of what it means and Jesus said, I'm the light and he is in me, I'm taking the light to the world. That's what it's all about. That's what Bethlehem was all about. That's what, this, that's what this struggle has always been about. When the enemy comes in and tries to destroy the profound influence that Jesus Christ has had on this world, when he begins to try to destroy and disrupt that whole work, and y'all, he's winning in a lot of people's lives. He's winning in, in, a, lot of, in a lot of this world. But you know something? We don't, let, we don't have to let them win in us. So let's go back to Luke chapter one. I want to read this to you. Let's get back to that feel-good part of Christmas. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And this is the great part. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And this is it. And of his kingdom, there will never be an end. Never be an end because of what he did when he showed up in Bethlehem 
lived 33 years of life before us as, as one who lived sinlessly, as one who came and said, I am light. You don't have to live in darkness anymore. And then he, he died, and then all of a sudden he was resurrected. That's what it's all about. That is our only hope. And you know something? That, should be, that right there, that message should be what we think of every time we look at a nativity, every time we truly say Merry Christmas. That's what needs to be pivotal in our minds. Not just a baby in a manger, but a Savior who came to take us out of the domain of darkness into light. And that's what it's all about. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I, I just want you to sit there. I'm going to ask Wesley to come and just play for us this morning. And I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what God's done in your life. I don't know if all of a sudden you're becoming aware of maybe some darkness that's in your life. And, and you know that what Christ has provided, you're not necessarily living Y'all, that's what he wants. He wants you to live in the reality that he provided for you. Some of you are sitting here today, I'm convinced, because I was one of those people. I actually was on staff when I lived in some of this. Not able to overcome the shame and the guilt of my own life. I tried to do a lot of it in my own strength. I tried to pretend like the things that were in my past didn't happen. I wasn't dealing with it. I never brought it to the forefront. I, I kept that little space in my life, in my soul, in darkness, afraid to expose it before the light. And one day, God gave me the courage. You know why? You know what motivated the courage? A lot of it was I was just sick and tired of being defeated. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired of where my life was. And I said, I, I know that God's provided more. I want to walk out of this darkness into the light. But it took me getting serious, serious about what God had for me and serious about what I didn't want from the enemy. And all of a sudden, I stepped out of that darkness into the light. The greatest freedom I've ever experienced in my life. There's some of you that happened when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I've heard some of your testimonies. All of a sudden, it was like, boom. But I don't know where you are right now. You could be a person here today that's never accepted the provision of Jesus Christ. I can tell you, based on the authority of Scripture, it says you're living in darkness. And you need to walk towards the light. At the end of this service, I'm gonna be standing around here. And if you haven't never experienced the light, I'd love to take a little time with you between these services and show you how you can. And then there's a second category of people here this morning. There's some of you like I was. I was saved when I was eight years old. I have no doubt the Lord came and saved me. And yet I entered into that season of being under the guilt and the shame. You do not have to live there. He provided so much more for you than that. I don't know where you are, but let him do a work in your life. Let this Christmas stand out from the rest. Let this Christmas represent the time where you truly stepped out of the darkness and into the light. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward if they would.
Father, we just come to you right now and we just thank you for...